In this recording, we're going to look at Rabbi Yosef Dov's explanation for a view of the Rambam regarding the halachas of Lulav and Esrog on the second day of Sukkot, which outside of Israel is a full day of Yantif. So theoretically, all the same laws as the first day should apply to the second day. But we'll see that there's some details that are different. And Rabbi Yosef Dov is going to explain the view of the Rambam. Now, this is one of the big themes that he focuses on in the pieces in Kovetz Chidushe Torah. There's three pieces in the Sefer that focus on this issue. Two were published in Moria. And the last piece in the Sefer, it looks like he added it when they went to publish the Sefer. So it seems like at some point, Rabbi Yosef Dov was very focused on this halachic issue, and he has some very interesting ideas explaining the Rambam as well as getting to the essence of the mitzvah of Lulav. So we're going to go through those pieces, but before that, there is a short piece on this topic in Igros Hagrid on page 64 on the Rambam Hilchus Lulav Parakhes Halacha Tess, and this piece gives us some of the kernel of Reb Yosef Dov's ideas, which he would later develop more fully. So we'll begin with the short letter in Igros Hagrid, and then go to the longer pieces in Kovetz Chidushe Torah. In the Tshuvas HaRajba, Chelek Aleph Simen Chav Gimel, he's asked whether a shofar that's pusel, a disqualified shofar, is allowed to be blown on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, like a lulav pusel is allowed to be taken on the second day of Sukkot. So the Rashba responds that the whole question is mistaken because in fact you cannot use a pusel lulav on the second day of Sukkot and you can't use a Pusel Shofar on the second day of Rosh Hashanah either. Because since we're observing both days as Yantif, because theoretically we're not sure which is the real day of Yantif, so we observe both of them, so they both need to have a valid Shofar and a valid Lulav. So according to the Rashba, you cannot use a Pusel Shofar or Lulav on the second day of Yantif. Now, the issue is that there are other Rishonim who disagree with this. So the Ritva in Sukkah Chavtes quotes from Rabbeinu Shlomo, and the Magid Mishnah in Hilchus Sukkah Ches Tes also brings this view. They hold that one is allowed to use a Lulav Pusel on the second day of Sukkot. So a disqualified Lulav is only disqualified the first day, not the second day. So now we're back to the question, can the same be said about Rosh Hashanah that a disqualified shofar can be used on the second day because it's only Drabanan. The real day is the first day, not the second day. So Rabbi Yosef Dov writes that he thinks it's obvious you cannot compare Rosh Hashanah to Sukkot. Even though, according to this view, you can use a disqualified lulav on the second day of Sukkot, but you still cannot use a pusel shofar on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Now, the logic for that is obvious because since we're observing the second day of Rosh Hashanah as a day of Yantif, because theoretically it's like the first day. So whatever is disqualified on the first day is also disqualified on the second. That's the Rashba's logic, and it seems obvious. So why is Sukkot any different? Why is Sukkot an exception that the Lulav changes from day one to day two, and you can use a Lulav puzzle on day two? So Rev. 
Yosef Dov says something very clever. When it comes to Sukkot, the original rule of the Lulav is that outside the Beis HaMikdash, it's only taken for one day. Only in the Beis HaMikdash, it's taken all seven. Now, the Gemara in Sukkot Mem Aleph says that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made a decree to take the Lulav all seven, even outside the Beis HaMikdash. So that's why we shake the Lulav nowadays all seven days of Sukkot because of the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Now what that means is someone outside of Israel who's observing the second day of Sukkot, so that day we shake the lulav for two different reasons. First of all, because maybe it's really the first day, so Sveika de Yomo, we're not sure which day is the real day of Yantif, so if it's the first day, then on a Do'oraisa level, we have to shake lulav. But then there's another reason, because if yesterday was the first day, that means today is day two, and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made a decree to take the lulav on day two through seven. So there's two reasons to shake the lulav on the second day of Sukkot outside of Israel. Perhaps it's the first day, or perhaps it's the second day, and it's included in Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree. So now this explains the difference between Sukkot and Rosh Hashanah. Blowing the shofar on the second day of Rosh Hashanah is only for one reason, because maybe this is the real day of Rosh Hashanah. So that's why anything that disqualifies on the first day also disqualifies on the second day. But shaking the lulav on the second day of Sukkot is not only because it's maybe the first day, it's also because of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree. Now, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree is more lenient than the Torah shaking. So there are things that disqualify a lulav on the first day, like it has to belong to you, or it has to be hadar, it has to have some beauty, it can't be totally dried up or shriveled. So all those types of disqualifications only apply on a Torah level, not for Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree. So that's why Sukkot is an exception that on the second day, one can take a lulav, even if it's disqualified on the first day, because since it's included in the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, so they're able to fulfill the mitzvah on the second day, even with that lower level lulav. And then Rabbi Yosef Dov adds a second version of this answer, which is even more sharp, and it's a very sharp idea. He says that the whole decree of the second day of Yantif never applied to lulav to begin with. On Sukkot, we have two different mitzvahs. One is to sit in the sukkah, and one is to shake the lulav. So the whole idea of the second day of Sukkot only applies to the sukkah mitzvah, not to the lulav mitzvah. And he has two proofs to this very radical idea. The first is that we don't make a shachiyanu on the lulav the second day, only the first day. So that seems to imply that the second day when we shake the lulav is not because it's a yantif, but because it's the second day of Sukkot. So that's why there's no shachiyanu. Also, we don't shake lulav all eight days. We only shake the lulav for seven days, and then the eighth day is Shmini Atzeres. Now, Shmini Atzeres is theoretically the eighth day, as well as the seventh day from the second day of Yantif. So why don't we shake lulav on Shmini Atzeres? Because perhaps it's the seventh day. So the standard explanation is because since Shmini Atzeres is a Yantif, we're not going to violate Yantif when we know that in fact it really is the eighth day and not the seventh day. But Rabbi Yosef Dov suggests 
suggests that there was no decree to keep two days of Yantif regarding the mitzvah of Lulav. So that's why we stop after seven days because Shemini Atzeres is only potentially the seventh day of Sukkot regarding the mitzvah of Sukkah, not the mitzvah of Lulav. So that's why we only shake the Lulav for seven days. So if there is no second day of Yantif regarding the Lulav, so that explains very clearly why a disqualified Lulav is allowed on the second day of Sukkot because the only reason to shake it is because of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree. So those Lulavs that are not allowed allowed on the first day are allowed on the second day, as opposed to Rosh Hashanah, where there is a decree to observe two days of Rosh Hashanah, including the mitzvah of shofar. So that's why a disqualified shofar is disqualified on the second day as well. So this is the piece in Igros Hagrid with some very creative new ideas. Now we'll go through the pieces in Kovetz Chidushe Torah. So I'm going to begin with the final piece in the Sefer. And in this piece, he goes through the view of the Rambam and he gives two different explanations, his father, Reb Moshe's, and his own. The Rambam in Hilchus Lulav Ches Tes writes, Kol elu all the disqualifications of the lulav and the esrog because they don't look nice, they're damaged, or because they're stolen, that all applies biyom tov rishon bilvad, only on the first day. Aval biyom tov sheni, but on the second day, im shar hayamim, along with the rest of the days of sukkis, hakol kasher. Those disqualifications are kasher, they're allowed to be used for the lulav. So the Rambam is here differentiating between the first day and the second day along with the days of Chol HaMoed that the Deoraisa disqualifications of stolen or mumin damaged only applies on the first day, not after that. The issue is, why does the Rambam formulate this in an unusual way? He should have said, Misheni Vahala HaKol Kasher. From the second day and on, it's all Kasher. So why does the Rambam say, Biyom Tov Sheni Im Shar HaYamim? on the second day, along with the rest of the days. So that's an unusual phrase. What is the Rambam trying to tell us by formulating this leniency in that way that it applies to the second day along with the days of Chola Moed? So Rabbi Yosef Dov shares a memory that when he was a child, his father was the rabbi of Chaslavich, and the custom in the town was that on Yantif, everyone would come to visit the rabbi to fulfill the mitzvah of greeting one's Rebbe on Yantif. So they were were all gathered one year in Reb Moshe's sukkah and he discussed this Rambam. And the way he explained it is as we just saw from Igros Hagrid that there are two reasons to take the lulav on the second day of sukkah. One is because perhaps it's the first day and the other is because of the decree of Reb Yochanan ben Zakkai to take it on the second day. So we just saw that idea. But in this piece he adds a little bit of detail to this approach that these two components, the two elements he's discussing, reflect two mitzvahs in the Torah. The Torah says that you should take the lulav. So that's a reference to one day outside the Beis HaMikdash and all seven in the Beis HaMikdash. But then there is another mitzvah of usmachtem, to rejoice in front of Hashem. 
And that mitzvah applies all seven days, even outside of the Beis HaMikdash. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree to take the lulav all seven days is a fulfillment of usmachtem, to rejoice in front of Hashem. And the way we do that on Sukkot is with the lulav. So that's the explanation for the Rambam's approach. On the second day, if someone has a disqualified lulav, they should still shake it because even if they don't fulfill the mitzvah of lakach, them, they still fulfill the mitzvah of usmachtem because of the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which allows for even disqualified lulavs. So that's why the Rambam formulates this in his halachas, that it's the second day with the rest of the days of Sukkot, because he's trying to make this point that even though a disqualified lulav does not fulfill the mitzvah of the first day, so that element it doesn't cover, but it covers the other element of usmachtem, the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which applies on the second day with the rest of the days. So that's how Rabbi Moshe Salavechik explained it. Again, that's the first approach that we saw in Igros HaGrid. So according to that, ideally one should use a good lulav on the second day, one which fulfills even the component of ulekachtem, because maybe it's the first day on some level. But if one doesn't have a good lulav, then they can take even a worse lulav and at least fulfill usmachtem. Now, Rabbi Yosef Dov adds that many times he told his father the second idea that we saw in Igros Hagrid, that there is no Sveika Diyoma, there's no decree to observe two days of Yantif when it comes to the mitzvah of Lulav. So the mitzvah of Lulav is a seven-day mitzvah, and on the second day, we're only observing it as a day of Cholam Moed because of the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, not at all because perhaps it's the first day of Yantif. So again, we saw that approach, and here in this piece, we get some of the history of who said what and the conversations between Reb Moshe and Reb Yosef Dov over this topic. But now Reb Yosef Dov suggests a variation of this, which is really a totally new approach to explaining the Rambam. And this is based on an issue that we already saw Reb Chaim discusses in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi in the piece on Hilchos Yom Tov. And Reb Velvel discusses in Chidush Imran Riz HaLevi in the piece in Hilchos Brachos. And that is whether the second day of Yantif is a suffix or it's a decree. So the Rambam in Hilchus Yom Tov of Vav Tesvav refers to the second day of Yantif not as a suffix, but a minhag. So it's a custom to observe the two days of Yantif, but it's not because there's a suffix any longer, which is the real day. It's not that the second day nowadays is a reflection of any uncertainty, but it's a minhag, obviously a very early custom that's obligatory for everyone outside of Israel to observe a second day. Now, building on this, Rabbi Yosef Dov says that if there is no suffix, but there's a decree of the rabbis to observe two days, so now it makes sense that there is no special decree to take the lulav on the second day. When it comes to sitting in the sukkah on the second day, or blowing the shofar on the second day, so the rabbis needed to institute a custom that you have to do it for two days. But lulav, there was already an earlier custom from Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai to shake it all seven days of Sukkot. So there was no need to add another custom, another obligation to shake it on the second day of Sukkot because it was already included in Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's earlier decree. Now, if there had been a real suffix, 
So perhaps the second day of Sukkot is the first, then obviously we would need to take a good lulav because maybe it's the first day. But since there is no suffake, it's just a decree because of the minhag that we have to observe the second day. So that does not automatically include the mitzvahs of the yuntif. If the rabbis want to include in the minhag to blow the shofar on the second day or to sit in the sukkah on the second day, so they need to actively include that in the minhag. It doesn't follow automatically because we're observing this second day. So the rabbis had no need to include an obligation to shake the lulav on the second day as a day of yuntif because there was already an earlier decree to shake the lulav that day because it's the second day of sukkah. Now, why didn't the rabbis add a minhag to take the lulav on the second day to give it more force so that the taking the lulav would have a higher level status than just the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, it would be a suffix that perhaps it's the first day. So Rabbi Yosef Dov says, first of all, they're not going to create a minhag for such a small detail. A minhag needs to add a real halacha, not just to disqualify some lulavim. But also, such a minhag wouldn't even work because since the people are already obligated, there's nothing to add through the minhag. The minhag decree needs to add some sort of obligation, and in this case, it's not doing that so it won't even take effect. So this is another conceptual framework to arrive at the same conclusion as Reb Moshe's approach that there is no steka diyoma on the mitzvah of lulav so we don't take the lulav on the second day of sukkah because perhaps it's the first day but only because of the drabanan decree of Reb Yochanan ben Zakkai but it's not a deoraisa suffix at all. So the difference is that according to Reb Moshe the reason for this is that even though there is a theoretical obligation on the second day because it might be the first day, but there's an additional obligation because of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So even if one can't fulfill the obligation of the first day, they can still fulfill the obligation of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Whereas according to Rabbi Yosef Dov's approach, there is no obligation of Sveika Dioma at all. So we're not concerned at all when it comes to the mitzvah of Lulav that it's the first day. The only obligation is because of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree. So the practical difference is that according to Reb Moshe, one should try ideally to take a better lulav. Only if they don't have it, they can use the worst lulav. Whereas according to Rabbi Yosef Dov's view in the Rambam, there's no reason at all to even try to take the better lulav. Because according to the Rambam, it's not a sveik of at all. The only thing is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So one can even ideally use a disqualified lulav. So now Rabbi Yosef Dov applies the two approaches to explain the Rambam of him and his father to the Ritva's discussion of this. The Ritva in Sukkah Haftesa Mudbeis quotes both views about this issue. First, he says that any lulav that's disqualified on the first day is also disqualified on the second day. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, because it's a sveika de yoma. We're not sure which is the real day of Yantif. So we have to treat the second day with all the stringencies of the first day. And then the second thing is, because if we allow this worse lulav on the second day, then people are going to start taking it less seriously and they're not 
not going to treat it like a full day of yantif because they're going to realize that the lulav they were not allowed to use on the first day, they are allowed to use on the second day. So they're going to think less of the second day of yantif and it will weaken the observance of the second day. So those are the Ritva's two arguments. So according to the Ritva, the way he understands this view, even if someone only has a bad lulav on the second day, they still shouldn't take it. So it's not just saying that ideally you should take a better lulav, but even if they only have a bad lulav, they still should not take it on the second day. So Rabbi Yosef Dov asks, what about his father Reb Moshe's idea that even if you can't fulfill the mitzvah of lakachtem, the mitzvah that applies on the first day, you could still fulfill the mitzvah of usmachtem, the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So why does the ritva say that there's no point to taking a lulav pasal at all? What about fulfilling the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai? So Rabbi Yosef Dov explains the approach of the ritva. Now again, the ritva has two reasons why a lulav pasal is puzzle on the second day as well. The first is because he believes that the two days of Yantif are an actual suffix. So unlike the Rambam who said that it's a minhag, it's a decree to observe the two days, the Ritva holds that we keep it as if it's a suffix. Now obviously there is no suffix. We know what day on the calendar is the day of Yantif, but we observe this minhag as if both days are a suffix. So just like someone thousands of years ago would have actually not known which day is the real day, that's what we recreate nowadays by observing the two days. So that's why the Ritva holds that any lulav puzzle that's disqualified on the first day is also disqualified on the second day. It has all the same stringencies. But that reason alone is not enough because again, we have the question Rabbi Yosef Dov just asked. Even if someone can't fulfill the full mitzvah as if it's the first day, but what about the takana, the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which still applies and can be fulfilled with a lower level lulav? So if someone only has a bad lulav, why not take it and at least fulfill the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai? So that's why the Ritva adds a second reason because it's going to cause people to think less of the second day of Yantif when they see that people are using a worse lulav. So because of that, it's better to not fulfill the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and to totally skip taking a lulav on the second day rather than weaken the whole decree of the second day of Yantif that people are going to be less careful about it. So that is the approach of the Ritva. Now, the Ritva continues and he quotes that his Rebbe, Rabbeinu Shlomo, had the other view. He agreed with the Rambam that one can use a lulav that's puzzle for the first day on the second day because it's not actually a suffix which day is Yantif. We have a set calendar, so we actually know that the first day is Yantif and the second day is an additional day because of the minhag but it's not a real suffix, so one can be lenient and use a lulav which was disqualified on the first day for the second day. So at this point, it seems that there are two major views. There's the ritva that one should not use that lulav puzzle on the second day versus his Rebbe, Rabbeinu Shlomo, and the Rambam who say that one can use the lulav puzzle on the first day 
for the second day. But now Rabbi Yosef Dov is going to analyze this passage in the Ritva much more closely, and he's going to show that in fact there are three different views, Rabbeinu Shlomo, the Rambam, and the Ritva. And this shows us Rabbi Yosef Dov's tremendous talent at reading a Rishon. So Rabbi Yosef Dov asks, how can the Ritva say that one should skip the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in order to not weaken the second day of Yantif? We have a problem here because the court that set up the second day of Yantif, which was later in history than Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, how were they able to undermine the original decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai? Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said that you have to take the lulav on day two through seven. So how could a later court, which was not of equal status come around and dispute Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree and say that because we're setting up the second day of Yantif, we don't want people to take a lulav puzzle on that day. The general rule in halacha is that a later court can't change the decree of an earlier court. So how does this work? So Rabbi Yosef Dov says it seems obvious that built into Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree to take the lulav the whole week of Sukkot is that it only applies when there's no other obligation that day to take the lulav. In other words, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is filling in whenever there's no Torah obligation to take the lulav, so that day Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai obligates it. But if there is a Torah obligation, like on the first day, so then Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree falls off. So that's according to the Ritva, how the later court was able to say, don't take a bad lulav on the second day, because since they created a real suffix according to the Ritva, so the second day is to be treated like it's possibly the first day with all the full stringencies. So once there's possibly a Torah obligation to take the lulav, so then Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree never kicks in. So it's not that they undermined or changed Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree. It's that once they said that the second day of Sukkot is to be treated as if it's potentially the first, so now there's potentially a Torah obligation of lulav. So that itself causes the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai not to take effect that day. So now, according to this interpretation, the Ritva's idea does not only apply when there's a set calendar, but even before that, when there was a real suffake, because people in Chutzlaret did not know which day was Sukkot, even at that point, there would be no reason to take a bad lulav on the second day of Sukkot, because the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai didn't kick in that day. Because since it was possibly the first day of Sukkot, there was no takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and any lulav that doesn't fulfill the mitzvah de Oraisa doesn't accomplish anything. So the Ritva's idea does not only apply after the courts stopped sanctifying the new month when there was a set calendar, but even before that, there was no point to taking a bad lulav on the second day because Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's takana didn't kick in. So now this means what Rabbi Yosef Dov suggested earlier is no longer true. The Ritva is not saying the reason not to take the bad lulav on the second day and at least fulfill Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree is because people might come to look down on the second day of Yantif. That's how he explained it earlier, that the Ritva needs two reasons to answer the question that he asked on the Ritva based on Reb Moshe's approach. Now, says Rabbi Yosef Dov, it turns out that that's not true. The Ritva doesn't 
need the second idea to explain why one shouldn't take the lulav and at least fulfill Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree, the first idea itself also answers that question. Because since we treat the days as if they're a real suffake, so that means that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree doesn't kick in any time there's a possible de'oraisa obligation of lulav. So even according to the first idea that we treat both days as a suffake, there's no point to taking a bad lulav on the second day. And the first idea does not need to rely on the second idea because people might look down on the second day of Yantif. So these are two independent approaches. The first approach of the Ritva to explaining the rationale of his opinion is because we treat both days as a suffix. So therefore, there's no point to taking a bad lulav on the first day or even on the second day, because there's no decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And the second idea is a totally different one, that we don't want to weaken the second day of Yantif, so that's why people shouldn't take a bad lulav on that day. So now if we keep reading the Ritva with this in mind, Rabbeinu Shlomo is agreeing with this basic point. Rabbeinu Shlomo only disagrees, and he says that when there's a set calendar, so then people could take a bad lulav on the second day. But it seems like before that, when the calendar was still based on witnesses and the courts, so one should not take a bad lulav on the second day. But again, what about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree? Even if you can't fulfill the full Da'oraisa mitzvah, but at least you can fulfill Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree. So again, the answer is, like Rabbi Yosef Dov just explained in the Ritva, and Rabbeinu Shlomo agrees with this point, that when there's an actual suffix and there's a potential to fulfill a Da'oraisa lulav, so the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai doesn't kick in. It only kicks in once the Da'oraisa mitzvah is totally over. So that's why when there was a real suffix in the calendar, there was no point to taking a bad lulav on the second day, only once it's a set calendar. And there's no longer a suffix according to Rabbeinu Shlomo. So then the mitzvah de'oraisa only applies on the first day. And the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai kicks in on the second day. So there is a point to taking a bad lulav on the second day. So according to Rabbeinu Shlomo, this is only true with the set calendar, not earlier when the calendar was based on the witnesses. And the Rambam has a third view. The Rambam holds that in all times, whether it's a set calendar or whether the calendar is based on witnesses, so there's a real suffix, either way it makes sense to take a bad lulav on the second day because at least you can fulfill the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So it turns out that there's actually three opinions. The Ritva holds that you never take a bad lulav on the second day. The Rambam holds you always do. And Rabbeinu Shlomo differentiates between what sort of calendar there is. So now Rabbi Yosef Dov has a few additional pages where he continues to discuss this whole issue and he makes a number of points. There's some interesting stuff in there. But I'm now going to go to an earlier article which also appears in Kovetz Chidushe Torah beginning on page 114 called Bedin Psule Esrog Kol Shiva. The disqualifications of an Esrog all seven days of Sukkot. So this has a lot of overlapping material but Rabbi Yosef Dov has a different perspective on the whole issue. So he begins with a debate between Rashi and Tosvos versus the Rambam. Rashi and Tosvos hold that in the Beis HaMikdash, where there was a Da'oraisa mitzvah to take the Lulav and the Esrog the whole seven days of Sukkot, so any disqualification of the first day applies also on the second day. So it has to belong to you, it has to look nice, it can't be missing a piece from the Esrog. All the disqualifications of the first day apply 
apply all seven days in the Beis HaMikdash. In addition, they hold that outside the Beis HaMikdash, where the obligation all seven is because of the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, so the disqualification of Lachem, that it has to belong to the person shaking it, does not apply. So during Chola Moed, it's clear that someone can shake a lulav and esrog that does not belong to them. And the disqualification of Chaser, if the esrog is missing a piece, also does not apply. So such an esrog can be taken the whole week under the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. But the disqualification of Hadar, that the lulav and esrog can't look terrible, that continues to apply even according to the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So according to Rashi and Tosvos, the leniencies within Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's decree are that one does not have to own the lulav and esrog and it can be missing chaser, but it cannot be missing hadar, it cannot look totally bad like if it's dried out. Now, the Rambam disagrees with Rashi and Tosvos on two points. First of all, he holds that all these disqualifications are allowed throughout the week, including if it looks terrible, so it's not Hadar. So the Rambam does not differentiate between Chaser and Hadar. According to Rashi and Tosvos, if it's missing, it's okay to be used during the week, but if it looks terrible, it cannot be used. Whereas according to the Rambam, in all cases, it can be used throughout the week. But even more than that, the Rambam holds that these disqualified Lulav and Esrog can be used in the Beis HaMikdash after the first day. So it's not only a leniency in the Durabanan decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai for the week outside the Beis HaMikdash, but even in the Beis HaMikdash, where the rest of the week taking the Lulav is the Orisa, there's still the leniency to use these disqualified Lulav and Esrog. Now, the Rambam does not make this point explicitly, but Rabbi Yosef Dov quotes that he heard it from his father, Reb Moshe, because when the Rambam in Hilchus Lulav Chestes records this leniency that these Puzzle Lulav and Esro can be used the rest of the week, he does not limit it only to outside the Beis HaMikdash. So it sounds like it applies even within the Beis HaMikdash, even though the Rambam holds that taking the Lulav and Esro all week in the Beis HaMikdash is the Oraisa. So this was Reb Moshe's analysis of the Rambam's approach. Now, there is a third view of the Ramban, and he agrees with the Rambam in terms of outside the Beis HaMikdash, that even if it's missing Hadar, so it looks terrible, it's still kosher under the decree of Reb Yochanan ben Zakkai, but he agrees with Rashi and Tosfos in the Beis HaMikdash that all week you cannot use a lulav and esrog that are missing, that are chaser, or that don't have Hadar. So on that level, he agrees with them, except for one detail in the Beis HaMikdash where he sides with the Rambam, which is that you don't need Lachem. So according to the Ramban, if the Lulav and Esrog is missing or it looks bad, it cannot be used throughout the week in the Beis HaMikdash, but the person doesn't need to own the Lulav and Esrog after the first day, even in the Beis HaMikdash. So the Ramban has a sort of middle ground between Rashi and Tosvos versus the Rambam. He basically sides with Rashi and Tosvos about in the Beis HaMikdash, except for on one detail, and he fully sides with the Rambam in terms of the rest of the week outside the Beis HaMikdash.
So to explain the conceptual debate between Rashi and Tosos and the Rambam, Rabbi Yosef Adov revisits something that he mentioned earlier, but now he develops it in a totally new direction. There are two mitzvahs in the Torah. One is v'lakachtem, to take the lulav on the first day outside the Beis HaMikdash. And then there's a mitzvah of usmachtem, to rejoice in the Beis HaMikdash with the lulav the whole week. So the Torah puts those two together. V'lakachtem lachem bayom Rishon, you should take on the first day, and then it lists the four species to take. And you'll rejoice with them in front of Hashem for seven days. So those two mitzvahs both require the lulav and esrog outside the Beis HaMikdash for one day and in the Beis HaMikdash for seven days. But now the question is, what is the relationship between these two mitzvahs? Are they one mitzvah that has two different applications in two different places? So outside the Beis HaMikdash, it's applied one way. In the Beis HaMikdash, it's applied differently. But fundamentally, it's all the same mitzvah. Or are they two different mitzvahs, which are obviously similar and they're grouped together in the Pasuk, but fundamentally Mentally, they are two different mitzvahs. So that would mean if someone takes the lulav on the first day in the Beis HaMikdash, they actually fulfill two mitzvahs, Bilakachtem, which applies everywhere, and Usmachtem, which applies in the Beis HaMikdash. So Rabbi Yosef Dov suggests that this is the debate between Rashi and Tosvos versus the Rambam. Rashi and Tosvos hold that it's all one mitzvah. So since we know that the first day of Yantif, there's certain things that are disqualified, like if it doesn't belong to the person or if it's not Hadar, so that applies in the Beis HaMikdash all seven days because it's fundamentally the same mitzvah, it's just elongated in the Beis HaMikdash and only one day outside the Beis HaMikdash. But whatever details apply to the mitzvah on the first day apply throughout the week in the Beis HaMikdash. Whereas the Rambam holds that it's two different mitzvahs. There is a special mitzvah to rejoice in the Beis HaMikdash all seven days of Sukkot. And one of the ways of fulfilling that part of the mitzvah is taking the lulav each and every day in the Beis HaMikdash. So that's a different idea than Ulekachtem, which says to shake the lulav outside the Beis HaMikdash, having nothing to do with rejoicing. Whereas in the Beis HaMikdash, it's a fundamentally different concept. So that's why the Rambam says that none of the disqualifications of the first day apply throughout the week in the Beis HaMikdash, because those those disqualifications apply to the mitzvah of Vilakachtem. They don't apply to Usmachtem. That mitzvah has different details and the disqualifications, like if it's not Hadar or if it doesn't belong to the person, don't apply to the mitzvah of Usmachtem. All you need to fulfill the mitzvah of Usmachtem is the four species, but it doesn't have the extra additional details of Vilakachtem. So that's why the Rambam holds that even in the Beis HaMikdash, even though it's the Oraisa all week, but the disqualifications don't apply after the first day. Now, what does the Ramban hold? Because he has a middle position. So Reb Yosef Vidov quotes from his father in the name of his grandfather, Reb Chaim, that he heard an explanation for this Ramban, although he says that he didn't hear anything about the debate between Rashi and Tosvos and the Ramban. So that's his additional piece. But this explanation of the Ramban basically comes from Reb Chaim. That the Ramban fundamentally agrees with the Rambam that there are two separate mitzvahs, the Lakachtem and Usmachtem. So 
taking the lulav in the Beis HaMikdash is a fundamentally different mitzvah than taking it on the first day outside the Beis HaMikdash. So that should mean theoretically that according to the Ramban, the disqualifications do not apply during the week in the Beis HaMikdash. But that's not what the Ramban holds. He agrees with Rashi and Tosfos that Hadar and Chaser do apply in the Beis HaMikdash. The only leniency is that it doesn't have to belong to the person. Only the obligation of Lachem is suspended during the week in the Beis HaMikdash. So Rab Chaim explained that the Ramban agrees that there are two different mitzvahs, but the mitzvah of Usmachtem has to be fulfilled with the same objects as the mitzvah of Vilakachtem. So anything which is a detail in what type of lulav and esrog are allowed to be used has to be replicated in the Beis HaMikdash all week. Because the mitzvah of Usmachtem requires the exact same object as Vilakachtem. Now, Hadar and Chaser are a disqualification in the object of the Lulav and Esrog. So that applies in the Beis HaMikdash the whole week. Because otherwise it's not the same object as Vilakachtem. As opposed to Lachem, that it has to belong to the person. So that is not a disqualification in the object. It has to do with the person. The person has to be the owner of the lulav and esrog. So that is not going to apply in the Beis HaMikdash because since usmachtem is a different mitzvah, so it doesn't have the same details as the mitzvah of vilakachtem. So that's why that detail is suspended in the Beis HaMikdash after the first day. In other words, any detail that has to do with the object of the mitzvah itself has to be followed all week to recreate the same object that the Torah is talking about. But any detail which has to do with the person doing the mitzvah does not apply in the Beis HaMikdash where it's a different mitzvah. So the only practical distinction according to the Ramban is going to be that a person does not need to own the lulav and esrog during the week in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, Reb Yosef Dov himself says that reading the language of the Ramban carefully, he thinks he's saying a little bit of a different distinction than the way Rab Chaim explained it. So Rab Chaim differentiates between something that disqualifies the person versus disqualifying the object of the mitzvah. But Rabbi Yosef Dov says that he thinks the distinction is between something that disqualifies the object versus changes the species. So some of the disqualifications are not that they disqualify this Esrog, but they make it not an esrog anymore. So the Ramban holds that a fruit which does not look nice at all, it's totally dried out, it's not a disqualified esrog, it's not an esrog, it's not a lulav, it's considered something totally different. So that's why you can't use it in the Beis HaMikdash the whole week, because it's not a lulav or an esrog at all. So according to this, the debate between the Rambam and the Ramban is that the Rambam holds that if a lulav is missing hadar, it's still a lulav, it's just a disqualified lulav, so therefore it can be used in the Beis HaMikdash. Whereas the Ramban holds that if it's missing Hadar, it's not a lulav anymore, it's something else, so therefore it cannot be used in the Beis HaMikdash. So that's how Rabbi Yosef Dov explains this. The only problem with this is according to the Ramban, why can such a lulav or esrog be used outside the Beis HaMikdash? Even though it's only a decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, but obviously you can't use something which is not a lulav or an esrog at all. 
So the lingering question is, how does the Ramban differentiate between in the Beis HaMikdash versus outside? If it's not a Lulav or an Esrog in the Beis HaMikdash, then why can't it be used outside? Now, the final point in this piece is to explain the view of Tosfos. Tosfos raises the issue, why is there a difference between Chaser, if the Esrog or Lulav is missing, where it's allowed to be used during the rest of the week outside the Beis HaMikdash, as opposed to Hadar, if it doesn't look nice at all, so let's say it's totally dried up, where it's not allowed to be used even outside the Beis HaMikdash during the rest of the week. So what's the difference between Chaser versus Hadar? So Tosos just says that when the rabbis set up taking the Lulav and Esrog outside the Beis HaMikdash all week, they said that you can't use it if it's not Hadar, but if it's Chaser or borrowed, you're still allowed to use it. Lo Takun. They didn't make any decree disqualifying it. So Reb Yosef Dov explains the conceptual point that Tosfos holds that using an esrog, which is chaser, it's missing a piece, is not a problem in the esrog. It's a problem in the act of taking the esrog. The Torah said, that you should take the lulav and esrog and shake it. But if it's an esrog that's missing a piece, that's not an act of taking it. So this is similar to Rab Chaim's distinction between a disqualification in the object versus a disqualification in the person doing the mitzvah. So Rabbi Yosef Dov is trying to suggest that according to Tosvos, using an esrog which is lacking a piece is not a disqualification in the object. It's a disqualification in the person's act of taking the esrog. As opposed to missing hadar, which is a problem in the esrog itself. It's not a valid esrog because the esrog itself is disqualified. So Tosvos holds that the decree of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said that during the rest of the week, any disqualification in the lulav and esrog itself in the actual object is a problem, but a disqualification in the person fulfilling the mitzvah is not a problem. So that's why chaser and borrowed is not an issue the rest of the week because the disqualification is in the person as opposed to hadar, which is a problem all week because it disqualifies the esrog itself. So this is the second piece that we've gone through from Rabbi Yosef Dov about this topic. And this was the second piece that he published in Moria on the topic. So now we'll go back to the first piece and both of them are reprinted in Kovetz Chidushe Torah. So this last piece that we'll look at in this recording is called a mitzvah that comes about through a sin, and it begins on page 107. So the first few pages are an explanation of Rashi's view. There's a debate between Rashi and Tosfos whether a lulav hayavesh, a dried out lulav, so it doesn't look nice, is that a more specific problem of hadar, that the Torah says the lulav and the esrog have to look nice pre eight hadar, and a lulav that's dried out is not Hadar? Or is that a more general problem that mitzvahs have to be done nicely because of the Anvehu? So there's a concept of Hidor mitzvah for all mitzvahs and a dried out lulav does not fulfill that. So that's a debate between Rashi and Tosvos. Rashi holds that it's an overall problem of Vanvehu and Tosvos questions that and says that it's a specific problem of Hadar. So Rabbi Yosef Dov tries to answer some of the questions on Rashi's view. But then he comes to the issue that we just 
just left off with, which is, why is there a difference between Hadar versus Chaser? Hadar is a problem the whole week, whereas Chaser is only a problem on the first day. So we just said that Tosos asks why there should be a difference, and Rabbi Yosef Dov explains the conceptual framework for Tosos's answer. Now he explains that Rashi has a different answer to this question. Chaser is a specific problem to the lulav and esrog. So there is no halacha that if the tzitzis, let's say, are missing a piece, or if the sefer Torah is missing a piece, it's not an issue. It's a special issue that if the esrog is missing a piece, there's a problem. As opposed to hadar, which according to Rashi is a reflection of a broader problem, which applies to all mitzvahs. That an object which is totally lacking in beauty, it has nothing redeeming about it, cannot be used for a mitzvah. Now, there are obviously specific applications of this idea to Lulav and Esrog, which are different than other mitzvahs. So there are details that are unique to Lulav and Esrog, but the overall concept applies to all mitzvahs that there needs to be Hadar, Hidur Mitzvah. It needs to be done in an appealing way. So that explains very simply the distinction between them. Anything which is specific to Lulav and Esrog, so that only applies on the first day, but after the mitzvah mitzvah de'oraisa is over, it doesn't apply the rest of the week. So that's why chaser only applies on the first day. But hadar, which is an overall concept of mitzvahs, so obviously that's not limited to the first day, it applies the whole week, same as it applies beyond sukkis to any mitzvah. So that's why the problem of hadar continues the whole week long, because since it's broader than just the mitzvah of lulav and esrog, there's no reason to end it after the first day, so it applies the whole week. And now Rabbi Yosef Dov adds one more very significant point to explain Rashi's approach. And this is a very fundamental concept in the whole mitzvah of Lulav. So it redefines the whole understanding of this mitzvah. Rashi on Sukkah Vav Amid Beis adds to this that if the Lulav is missing Hadar, one cannot use it on the second day. Ho'il umazkir shem shamayim alav. Because it has the name of Hashem. Hashem on it. So what on earth is Rashi talking about that the name of Hashem is connected to the Lulav? He's not referring to the bracha that we make on the mitzvah of Lulav because that has nothing to do with whether it's Hadar. He's talking about the object of the Lulav itself and somehow that is associated or connected with the name of Hashem. So what does Rashi mean by this phrase? And there's a similar question. The Balamaor explains that the reason a lulav that's dried out is disqualified. So we mentioned Rashi and Tosos's view, either because it's not Hadar or because it's not Ve'anvehu. The Balamor has a third option based on Hakrivehu no lepachticha, which is a pasuk in the first chapter of Malachi. And the prophet is complaining that the Jews bring bad sacrifices. And he says, would you bring that to someone less? to some sort of human leader. So the implication is you would be embarrassed to bring this sort of sacrifice even to some sort of human king. So certainly you should not bring it to Hashem. So hakrivehu not lepachtecha means don't bring low quality objects to Hashem. So the Balamor applies that also to dried out lulav that this is not what should be used for the mitzvah. The problem is that the prophet is talking about sacrifices. He's not talking about an object of a mitzvah. So how is the Balamor applying that pasuk to a 
lulav, which is not a sacrifice. So Rabbi Yosef Dov quotes that the Gemara in Baba Basra, Tzadizayin Amad Beis, applies that same Pasuk also to the wine that we use for Kiddush on Shabbos. So we see that the Pasuk applies not only to sacrifices, but it can apply sometimes to objects of mitzvah. But it has to be the sort of mitzvah which is praising Hashem. So it's not going to apply to any object of mitzvah, but only to a specific category of mitzvahs which are a praise of Hashem like Kiddush. So that means that lulav, according to the Balamor, is also in that category of mitzvahs which praise Hashem. So now Rabbi Yosef Dov quotes five proofs to this idea that lulav is a mitzvah which the act of shaking it praises Hashem. First of all, the Rambam seems to imply that there are two components to the mitzvah of lulav. The first is picking up the lulav to fulfill the mitzvah, and then it should be shaken during the recitation of Hallel. So this is a little different than Tosvos and Sukkah Lamed Zayin Amud Beis presents it. According to Tosvos, there are two shakings. A person shakes the lulav when they first pick it up, and then they shake it when they read Hallel. So they're shaking both for the mitzvah, as well as during Hallel. Whereas the Rambam seems to be saying that the mitzvah is just to hold the lulav, to pick it up, whereas the shaking only happens during Hallel. So that means according to Tosvos, if someone does not shake the lulav during Hallel, they've still fully fulfilled the mitzvah of lulav because they picked it up and shook it already. Now, it's good to also shake it during Hallel, but that's not necessary to fulfill the mitzvah. Whereas according to the Rambam, shaking the lulav during Hallel is the completion of the mitzvah of lulav. Without that, the person has not fully completed the mitzvah of lulav. So we see that according to the Rambam, the mitzvah of lulav is totally connected with the mitzvah of Hallel. The way to fulfill Hallel and Lulav on Sukkot is to shake the Lulav during Hallel. So that's an indication of the mitzvah of Lulav being a prayer, a way of praising Hashem, just like the mitzvah of Hallel. Number two is that the Ravid in Hilchus Lulav Chestes has another source why a dried out Lulav is Pasal. So we saw the Balamor's Pasuk that he quotes to explain this Halacha, as well as Rashi and Tosos's understanding, the Ravid quotes a fourth source, which is Lohamesim Yahalaluka, that the dead don't praise Hashem. So this is a cute idea that the Lulav, which is dead, it's dried out, cannot be used to praise Hashem. Now, the Pasuk of Lohamesim Yahalalu, that the dead don't praise Hashem, is talking about the prayer of Hallel. So what does that have to do with Lulav? So again, we see that the Lulav is a form of a prayer. Third, the Rambam says that the source for the mitzvah of taking the lulav in the Beis HaMikdash all seven days is Hashem that you should rejoice in front of Hashem which refers to rejoicing in the Beis HaMikdash for seven days. And then the Rambam goes on to describe the Simchas Beis HaShoeva the great joy that they had in the Beis HaMikdash over Sukkot. So again the Rambam is connecting the mitzvah of lulav with the overall joy and praise of Hashem of the holiday of Sukkot showing that a lulav is a way of praising Hashem. Now, just as an aside, a reference for anyone that's interested in this point, Rabbi Yosef Dov says it very briefly in this article, but there's a longer piece on this overall point in Igros Hagrid in Hilchos Sukkah where he expands on it much more. The fourth proof to this idea, and this is a very powerful proof from the Ritva in Sukkah Tes 
Lamed Aleph. Tosfos asks, why do we need a special Pasuk to teach us that you can't fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah with a stolen sukkah? It should be obvious because we know that you can't use a stolen lulav because of mitzvah habab avera. You can't do a mitzvah through an avera. So the Ritva answers this question in the name of Tosfos that the disqualification of a stolen object does not apply to the sukkah only to the lulav, because the lulav is like a carbon, it comes to appease Hashem. So this is an unbelievable source where the Ritva basically says this straight out, that a lulav is a form of a carbon, it's a prayer to Hashem, it's a way of praising Hashem, which is different than many other mitzvahs, which are an object of mitzvah, they're different than a carbon, whereas the lulav is a form of a carbon, that the shaking of the lulav, the taking of the lulav, is a prayer to Hashem. And finally, number five, there is a halacha in the Gemara that the lulav must be at least one tefach higher than the hadasim and arabas. So Rabbi Yosef Dov explains that this is a similar idea because the lulav is the main one of the four species, which is the prayer to Hashem. So it has to stand out from the other species in order to create that prayer, and then it brings along the other ones with it. But the lulav, more than the esrog, hadasim, and aravas, is the object of prayer like the carbon that appeases Hashem. And he tries to read this into a comment of Rashi there. So either way, from all these proofs, we see that a lulav is a form of prayer. So shaking it is a way to fulfill the mitzvah of lulav, but it's also a prayer. And there's other such mitzvahs that Rabbi Yosef Dov develops, like shofar is a mitzvah as well as a prayer. It's obviously not all mitzvahs, but there are certain mitzvahs which stand out as a prayer. So that's why the Balamor says, says that you can't use a faulty lulav because just like you wouldn't bring a carbon which is faulty, the lulav is like a carbon as well. It should not be low quality, so it should not be dried out. So now coming back to Rashi, we said that Rashi's view is that the disqualification of a dried out lulav is because in general mitzvahs can't be done with totally unappealing objects. Now says Rabbi Yosef Dov, Rashi doesn't mean that that's a general principle for all mitzvahs. It applies to certain mitzvahs which stand out because they have greater sanctity. They're used directly to praise Hashem. So, for example, Sefer Torah is one of the other mitzvahs that Rabbi Yosef Dov says would have a similar principle. If it was totally lacking in any hadar, it would disqualify the Sefer Torah because the Sefer Torah is an object of sanctity. It directly is connected to the name of Hashem, so it cannot be totally unappealing. So Rashi applies the same thing to a lulav, even though it doesn't apply to all mitzvahs, but a lulav is also an object of sanctity. It's used to praise Hashem like a carbon. So if it's totally unappealing, then that would be a problem. Now, it's just worth pointing out that this is a very theoretical analysis. On a practical level, we don't have a way to say that other mitzvahs are missing hadar. So let's say someone uses a disfigured coin and gives it to tzedakah, that would not disqualify qualify the mitzvah because we don't necessarily apply the version of Hadar from Lulav and Esrog to all objects of mitzvah. So there's not a lot of practical ramifications to this analysis, but Rabbi Yosef Dov is saying that according to Rashi, the issue of Hadar disqualifying an object of mitzvah is limited to mitzvahs that are used for sanctified purposes, and Lulav is one of those because it's an object of prayer, shaking the Lulav is a form of praying 
to Hashem. So now coming back to the strange phrase that Rashi used, that's why he says that a dried out lulav is disqualified on the second day because it's connected to the name of Hashem. Since it's a prayer to Hashem, so it cannot be something which is totally lacking in Hadar, so a dried out lulav is disqualified. And that's why it applies the whole week because since this is a broader concept, not only in the mitzvah of lulav and esrog, but applying to other mitzvahs, so it applies throughout the week. It doesn't end after the first day. So this is his very beautiful analysis and explanation of Rashi's approach to this. And there's a very powerful philosophical idea that the lulav is a mitzvah, which is also a prayer. So when we take it, when we shake it, we are uttering a prayer through those actions. A prayer does not need to be through words, and a carbon does not need to be a sacrifice of an animal, but the lulav also plays those roles. And it's not only the lulav, but there are other mitzvahs that have this very special power. So this is overall a very important and fundamental idea in some mitzvahs, including lulav.